Hey, whether you enjoy listening to Breaking Down Collapse or Building Up Resilience, I think you'll also really enjoy our bonus content on Patreon. Yeah, Kellen and I take 20 minutes each week to talk about the news that's happening all around us and Collapse as it plays out. We like to have a little fun with it, but also make sure that you're aware of what's going on in the world of Collapse. We look forward to having you join us there. The link to join us on Patreon is in the episode description. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. For this episode, we were honored to speak with Sean Chamberlain. Sean Chamberlain is an author and activist who has been exploring collapse and possible responses for over 20 years. He is the editor of Surviving the Future, Culture, Carnival, and Capital in the Aftermath of the Market Economy, and his late mentor David Fleming's Lean Logic, A Dictionary for the Future and How to Survive It, as well as executive producer of a 2020 film, the sequel, What Will Follow Our Troubled Civilization. He puts the theory into practice as one of the custodians of Ireland's legendary free pub, The Happy Pig, and was involved with the Transition Towns movement since its inception, co-founding Transition Town Kingston and authoring the movement's second book, The Transition Timeline, back in 2009. He was also one of the first Extinction Rebellion arrestees in 2018 and now leads Sterling College's online program, Surviving the Future, Conversations for Our Time. Well, Sean, we are so excited that we get the opportunity to talk to you today. Ah, oh, it's great to be back, guys. I really enjoyed it last time. Yes. Uh, on our previous podcast, Breaking Down Collapse, we had the opportunity to have a conversation with you, but it has been a long time. Uh, so for those that had tuned in then and were familiar with that conversation and are now just hearing about uh, how you're doing now, maybe just fill us in how things been over the last, what, year, two years? Yeah, good. Um, let's see. Yeah, I think so. There's this. Uh, I'm actually visiting my mum over in in Devon in England at the moment. But the community where I live in Ireland, the Happy Pig, um, we just at that point I think moved it into this kind of co-ownership model, um, which is a whole long story in itself. And it's just 
it's really working. It's really great to be in a community where like things are nice, you know, everyone's getting on and things are working well. And when things need doing, we talk about them and, and get them done. Um, so that's, that's kind of a joy and a real kind of sustenance in everything else that I do. Um, and, uh, and yeah, still running these, um, surviving the future courses through Vermont's Sterling college and coming up in hmm, a couple of months to the next live deeper dive, which I'm quite excited about because we've just had confirmation from Ian McGilchrist that he's going to join us as a guest. And, um, he was someone who was talked about a lot on the previous deeper dive. Um, so I'm really excited to meet him for the first time and Lila June and a couple of other guests I've, I've not met before. So, um, yeah, things are, things are well in the, you know, in the wider context of things not being so well. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's, it's great to hear that for those that weren't, you know, haven't heard our previous conversations, when you mentioned something like the happy pig, they might have, not have any idea what you're talking mm. about. So fill us in on that. Sure. So, um, well, where to begin that story? Um, I guess the short version is that uh, we have um, uh, a pub, it being Ireland, called the Happy Pig, um, and it's run on what we call gift economy principles. Um, so completely moneyless, uh, people can turn up and stay for free. Um, it's you know we we feel a great ah, a great distaste for the fact that in our world people just have to pay a lot for the right to exist essentially you know just to have a place to lay your head you're paying rent paying mortgage and then having to go and sell your labor or, or sell your products or whatever it is in order to pay for that um and so yeah we wanted to create a space where people could just be um and you know have a chance to step outside of all of that um and i guess i should say that a lot of the money for that came from my my best friend mark who also lives there um he uh he decided, I guess about 15 years ago now, um, that just about everyone he knew was doing something they didn't believe in, they were doing it for money. Uh, and so he kind of challenged himself and thought, well, what would it be like to live without money? Um, and so he quit money for, for a year uh, and wrote a book about it called The Moneyless Man. Um, and I met him just at the end of that year, read his book, was blown away by it and his kind of commitment and integrity. Um, and uh, he ended up you know, he lived for a year without money, wrote a book and then was like, you know what? I've never been happier. I'm just going to carry on living like this. Um, but ironically, um, the book did really well. And so he ended up with lots of money from the royalties of the book. And we were like, well, God, what do we do with this? And so what we did with that was, well, the way we talk about it is like uh, how slaves used to, if they sort of did well for themselves, buy their own families out of slavery, like buy their own ownership effectively. Um, and we look at it kind of like we bought that land out of the market economy. Um, so, you know, we don't ever expect to see that money back. It's not an investment or anything. And it's now in co-ownership. So if we were, ever were going to sell it, all six of us would have to kind of unanimously agree to do that. So essentially, we've kind of thrown that money away, created a space that's kind of been bought out of the economy. And so anyone else who wants to can come and 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 be in that space and experience what and yeah i think it, it sounds really radical to kind of modern ears but actually it's really just a rekindling of the tradition of hospitality you know like a century or two ago if someone turned up on your doorstep you you gave them a bed for the night that was just how it was and there were charge of rent it wasn't an airbnb yeah exactly yeah yeah it was just it was just hospitality um and so you know a lot of people talk about it as a bit of a bit of a throwback 
Um, but we see it in a lot of ways as a bit of a throw forward. Um, you know, I think the, the monetary economy is is not in good nick, let's say. And um, and so really what it's about for us is building the sequels, you know, like deciding what we want the, the next chapter of humanity's story to look like. And um, yeah, getting on with with making it now because it feels feels a good way to live. So, yeah, that's the happy pig. Um, the six of us who co-own and live there. Um, and a, a st- steady stream of interesting folk who who come by and stay for a while. Yeah. What does that look like as far as the number of people that come by? How do they find out about you? Um, what do they do while they're there? Do you do they support you at all? Do they help with the chores, or are they just you know what does that look like? Sure. Um, well, a lot of questions. There. Maybe I'll start at the end. So um, people. I'm not obliged to help out, um, you know, if people just want to come and, you know, lay around in bed and then go for a walk and read a book. We've got an amazing library there. We've got table tennis and table football and darts and, like, you know, fun stuff you might expect in, a, in an Irish pub. And um, so there's, there's definitely no obligation, but um, very often people do want to, you know, chip in and help out. And so um, if people ask, we certainly can say yeah great come and depends on the time of year but you know come and help us dig over the raised beds or um you know make the fire each day or you know change the sheets or whatever it is and you know people often ask you know how do you you know how do you make any money how do you how do you keep things going um and the answer of course is we don't make any money that's kind of the point of it but really we're so used, I mean, as a society, we're so used to thinking of things in terms of money. You don't actually need money to get things done. You need people doing things to get things done. And one way of motivating them is to pay them. Um, But in fact, you know, there can be many other ways. I mean, most of the human story was told when money didn't exist, in fact. And so, um, so yeah, you know, we, uh, well, the original idea was that we would homebrew the booze the alcohol uh which we did um but actually one thing that very often happens is that people come and stay and bring a bunch of alcohol with them and and donate it to to the place so we've actually got a decent amount of kind of what would you say like conventional alcohol and kind of homebrewed stuff um so we're not you know paying for supplies in that sense we're we're growing the food um we the the kind of labor of, of keeping the place tidy is is just something that we do in service to a story we want to tell in the world um numbers of visitors really vary um as you would expect it, it dropped off hugely during covid lockdowns and and all of that um and yeah has has kind of picked up um there's a number of regular kind of events with the local community that go on so we have like traditional music nights, um, have one of our residents, Alwyn, runs kind of yoga classes and foraging walks and things like that from the place. Um, So people locally can come and um, use it as a kind of free event space for for whatever they want to do. And then, yeah, people passing by really, um, as you'd expect, like when the weather's nicer, we get a lot more. Um, Like we we have a bunk room in the pig that's got four beds um that's yeah usually it's rare that that's not enough like occasionally you get a group of people turn up that's bigger than that and um there's also on the on the piece of land there are there are kind of three buildings so there's the happy pig itself 
And if people are curious, um, you could look at my darkoptimism.org. Um, the projects page there has kind of pictures and video and uh, actually a little film that um, Channel 5 in the UK made about us. Um, so there's the happy pig itself, which when we got the land um, was actually a pigsty. Uh, there was a there was a sort of corrugated iron pigsty on the land and not the kind of thing I'd ever dream of putting a pig in. It's a horrible <laughs> little thing. Um, and so, you know, we kind of built the happy pig on the foundations of that, um, ran a kind of volunteer ecological building course and people came and kind of learned to build um with uh with straw bales and and door to to build the place kind of as the course if you like um as their way of learning the skills um and so yeah i might mention actually so one reason it's called the happy pig is because obviously it's hopefully a happier place than than what was there before um also because um socrates famously said once um it is better to be Socrates dissatisfied than a pig satisfied because he thought, you know, humans were so superior and capable of higher right. pleasures and that kind of thing. And we disagree with that so profoundly that we named it the happy pig in, in dishonor of, of Socrates. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's the happy pig. And then there's like a kind of traditional Irish farmhouse on the land that was there when we arrived. Um, and four of us have kind of rooms in that. And so if there's a kind of overflow, sometimes someone might stay in a room that's unoccupied. And then Mark, um, he is now living uh, without electricity. Um, so he he got to the point where he was like, well, you know, off grid's all very well, but like nobody's told me how you build a solar panel without building an industrial society. And nobody's told me how you build an industrial society without devastating the ecosystem. So until people work that out, I'm going to just learn what it is to really live in relation to my to my local landscape. And so he's actually built himself uh, a cabin that he sort of dragged the wood out of the forests and um, beautiful, beautiful cabin that he lives in. And that's got no sort of no running water, no electricity, just goes to the spring each morning, collects his water. Um, and so those are the kind of three buildings on the site. Um, and uh, Mark's also a writer. So, you know, people he, he his most recent book is called The Way Home Tales from a Life Without Technology. So a lot of people who are kind of interested in, um, you know, older ways of living, I suppose, um, turn up interested to to meet Mark and hear about things that are going on. There's also a guy, Julius, who lives with us, who runs a YouTube channel around kind of wilderness survival skills and things like that. Um, and so we've got quite an interesting little little gang. And um, and yeah, during the summer, there's there's usually someone staying um, and they might be staying for a short while or a longer while. Um, and sometimes there's a flurry and it all gets a bit hectic and sometimes there's quieter periods and it calms down. And um, actually, Mark has a lovely uh, little saying. Um, he, was, he talks about how if you've got a, a pool of water and there's no through flow, it, it starts to get quite stagnant and, and a bit bit ugly. Um, but if you've got just a little trickle of, of through flow, then it stays kind of fresh and sweet. Um, and it feels a bit like that, you know, our, our community is kind of kept fresh by the the kind of through flow of, of, of folk who, who find their way there. Um, and I think you asked how people find it. And that's, there's a lot of stories about that because we don't actually put the address online. Um, and so, yeah, people find it in all kinds of ways. And, <laughs> um, and it, we, we like to think that it, um, 
gives us a, a kind of higher class of guest, if you like, if there's a certain certain adventure involved in in finding your way there and, and a story or a connection or whatever it is. Um, yeah. and that, that works out pretty well for us. So, um, yeah, people come in all sorts of curious ways. <laughs> so so one of the things that I love as I hear about this, Sean, you know, when we talk about resilience, there's a there's a wide range of what that could look like. Everybody mm -hmm. has different situations. Somebody might just want to continue living their normal life and, you know, just have a little bit of food storage on hand. Others might like build an off-grid community that's totally isolated from all of society. You've got this fun blend where it's this great community, but you allow people to come visit um, even for temporary periods of time, but you're, you're educating and doing all these other things. So as you describe it, I imagine there are people listening that are thinking, oh, that sounds amazing. I would love to escape the daily grind. I would love to not have my life focused around money. Yeah. Um, but may maybe talk us through what are some of the things that are hard about it? What are the challenges? Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, the first thing I'd say, you mentioned that word resilience, which I've had a, a long relationship with over my, over my years. Um, and I think to kind of frame what I'm about to say, like, I think a lot of people imagine that resilience is correctly predicting the future and preparing for it. Um, you know, I think it's all going to hell. So I've got my, you know, tin goods and my bunker and whatever, or, you know, I think it's going to be fine. So I've, but actually I think what resilience is, is finding a path that makes sense across the widest possible range of possible futures. You don't need to worry about the impossible ones, you know, like I don't I don't think we're going to be colonizing Mars anytime soon personally. And I think I could make a pretty strong argument for that. Um but yeah, like the one thing we know about the future is that we're going to be wrong about it. <laughs> you know, predictions about the future have a poor record. Um so that's the first thing is, you know, I think arguably the first measure of resilience is are you actually enjoying what you're doing you know is is it actually something that you're that you're excited to tell people about or that you're proud of in yourself you know that you believe in whether that's you know creating some mad moneyless pub in, in the west of ireland or whether it's just you know raising a beautiful family or or you know restoring a piece of land or whatever it may be but something that you really feel good about in the now because you know uh i mean my my good friend michael dowd who some of your listeners may be familiar with died very suddenly a couple of weeks ago um and you know that could happen to any of us obviously so um you know resilience is a relative term for human beings and um and yeah finding finding joy in what you do is i think is a really key part of it and often kind of often underplayed in a in a bit of a kind of survivalist narrative um and that really ties into some of the things that are difficult because um i think whenever you're trying to do something that's that's not in alignment with the dominant story of the society you're operating in um it's going to be a lot harder than if it was um you know like if i decided i wanted to ride horses everywhere um that would have been really easy a few hundred years ago because all the infrastructure was there you know i could get my horse free shoot up the road and i could get a horse pretty cheaply from the local horse dealer and all of that and none of that's there anymore right so you know if i want to live like that then it's going to be a lot harder and and the same applies 
to some extent to to what we're doing you know it's it's really hard to um for example let people know about the traditional music nights because in the past that was all done by word of mouth and maybe you stuck a poster up in the local shop or whatever now everyone expects it to be on social media and so you know you can still stick a sign up but nobody sees it because that's just not how people are used to finding out about local events anymore um and so i think that's that's really one of the challenges is just that um yeah the wider infrastructure and expectations are there um another one is you know the the kind of path by which we got to where we are now um i mean mark and i met must have been about 2010 uh when we'd both just written our first books and and sort of met through, uh, a thing called the dark mountain festival that some of your listeners might be familiar with and um and i was i was really inspired by hearing about mark living without money and one thing he'd learned from his year of that um so most most of that time he he was living in a in a caravan uh parked on a on a farmer's land who said he could park there in exchange for a bit of help at harvest time unpaid um and he loved it but he came he came to understand that it wasn't in any way sustainable to be doing it alone um you know at some point at the very least he was going to get sick or get injured or whatever and you know you, you rely on other people like i think one of the one of the one of the myths of the of the i don't know ecologically aware movement and let's use the broadest term i can think of is this idea of, of self-sufficiency um which you know has the same flaws i think last time we talked about the the kind of myth of financial independence um and how it doesn't really exist because you're always going to be dependent on someone whether you whether you get what you need from them through paying them or whether you get what you need from, from them through relationships and the same is true of the idea of self-sufficiency. It's like the green movement's version of that. The idea that I'll just grow my food and have my patch and, and then, you know, I don't need anybody else. It's nonsense. The The very nature of being alive actually is is interdependence. Um, and so Mark had kind of realised that and I was coming out of a kind of community activism background and we started plotting together about creating some kind of some kind of moneyless community was what we had in, in mind at the time um and then we we partnered with a group called the ecological land cooperative that was just getting set up which which is going great guns still and i'm very proud to be involved with um but the challenge that came there was uh it's it's very hard to dig out of yourself i think the the stories that you were raised with about what's important and what success looks like and, you know, what we, what we should be striving for. Um, and I think I really found that, um, I think what the, the short version of this story is that essentially um, we put a few years into trying to set something up on this land in Devon, actually very near here. Um, my mum moved to where she is now because she wanted to be close to where she thought I was going to be living um and actually she loves it around here and she's still here and i'm not but that's how it goes sometimes and um yeah long story short i ended up in the situation where um you know mark and i had been had been working on this for a few years and, and the rest of the land co-op um and then mark had to pull out of, of what we were trying to do here 
Uh, and everyone was encouraging me to kind of, oh, you should keep going, you know, you've got the land in place, like, you know, you just need to find some other people that you can partner with. And so I tried to do that, um, found a, a few wonderful people and we all moved onto the land together and we were living in these caravans. And, you know, with hindsight, it doesn't seem that surprising that trying to create some radical land project with three wonderful lovely strangers is a very different thing to doing it with your best mate that you've been planning it with for years um but i i kind of really ground myself into the dirt trying to make this work you know i was sleeping three hours a night i was just barely eating i was absolutely falling apart in this situation till eventually i was like god i you know i just need to let this go but when i reflected on like why did i why did I cling to that so hard? Like, why did I let that damage me so much? What it came down to, I think, was those kind of stories. It was like how, you know, I, I sort of quit my conventional job back in, in 2005 to because I was concerned about collapse, really, is how I phrase it, phrase it now, and was trying to work out how to engage with that, how to relate to that. And all my friends were like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, like, what's your career plan? Like, what are you doing with your time? And I didn't really know. I was just like, well, I'm going to just read some things and try and find something that feels true. But, you know, back in the mid 2000s, there wasn't really an anything much online around kind of collapse or any kind of places to look around that. There's a few people like Richard Heinberg who were talking about this stuff, but um, I didn't really have answers. And, and not, so this, what was this like? you know, nearly 10 years later, um, there was something in me that was really like, if I can get this piece of land and like build a beautiful ecological home on it, and, you know, then all my my friends, my peers, my family will be able to look at that and go, oh, so it did lead to something that I can recognize as success. You know, it did lead you to the, like a place that I can see is like a nice place to live your life. And it's mad, but like very human, I think, that I was unconsciously so attached to that outcome of how it would look in other people's eyes um, that I was pursuing something that was making me deeply miserable for that for that sake. And it was when I when I let that go, um, you know, that was kind of what I would now call stepping into the, the space between stories. It was like letting go of my previous story of, of, of what was what I was trying to do with my life um and i mean i I was gonna say being brave enough but in this case it was just being beaten up enough to to let that story go and step into the the kind of fertile void that exists when you kind of don't have a story and it's it's an incredibly hard place to be but it's actually where the magic happens you know it's actually the place we need to step into when our stories don't make sense anymore and of course in times like these, and I you know, don't need to tell you guys and your audience what I mean by this, like the stories that we've been raised with about what's important more and more don't make sense to us. And so it was only by by kind of going through that that dark night of the soul, if you like, that I was able to recalibrate, like, you know, create a story that really deeply makes sense to me, like appreciate even what these stories were that I'd incorporated into myself. Um, and then start off on a path which actually felt deeply good and, and joyous and like, yeah, this isn't exhausting every day. This is actually nourishing every day. Um, and so that's probably the biggest, deepest answer to your question is like the hard thing is 
yeah, identifying in yourself where you've kind of internalized the values of a society that's that's falling apart um, and and being ready to step into something that's ultimately a lot more joyous. But the the casting off from the shore without knowing there's another shore in sight is is a is a scary thing. So you mentioning those items, I feel like leads me to uh, another question I was going to ask. And you, you alluded here to what's challenging about it, um, but you also gave some great advice about, you know, it's got to be something that you enjoy yourself. Like you can't, you're trying to live your life. You don't want to, you're not, the purpose of resilience isn't to try and do something you don't want to do or be someone you don't want to be. You have to enjoy it, especially because it's going to be hard. And then you also mentioned that, yeah, this is um, this is really hard because you're trying to battle what you've been taught your entire life growing up, trying to battle the idea of what success is and what other people think you should be and and everything that goes along with that. So my question is, um, to the average listener who is working a nine to five, who is caught in the rat race, who is dealing with the normal, you know, feelings of materialism and and just what everyone else is going through. What's your advice for them uh, to find what it is that does make them happy along the route to resilience? Mm. <laughs> well, if my previous answer was quite, um, I don't know, emotional and feeling based, like this is probably quite may maybe more practical than you'd expect. Like my, my absolute number one thing that gave me freedom was reducing my need for money like learning to live cheap like we're, we're so trained that like what we need to do is increase our income you know like got to increase our income and then we can spend more and then we'll be happier but actually if we decrease our expenditure um it's like buying freedom it's amazing like you know the the the, the less you have to spend the less you have to sell your time in order to exist um and the more space you open up for yeah, finding your joys or just pursuing them. It, you know, I think a lot of people know perfectly well what their joys are, but they don't have time to do anything about them because they're working so bloody hard all the time. Um, and so, you know, one thing I, I really learned from my late mentor, David Fleming's work, who we talked about last time, um, you know, if I had to summarize all of his work into into a nutshell, it would be that the the financial economy is is not a good place to look for our resilience, you know, for our security. We're told that we should be, you know, having savings and a pension and buying a house and all this kind of stuff. And people all over the world know already that that's not a very secure place to to, to place our future. Um, that, you know, if things go wrong in, in this mysterious thing we call the economy, then um, suddenly the money in your bank account can disappear or you can't access it or inflation makes it worth vastly less than it was at a ridiculous rate or whatever it may be and so where can we look as an alternative um to base our life in and, and the two answers are relationships you know the what david fleming calls the informal economy the non-monetary economy um you know actually building relationships of, of trust and reliance on each other you know, that isn't going to evaporate, um, you know, whatever. And we all know that when you fall on financially difficult times, you you end up relying on your relationships, on your friends, on your family, on your community, whatever it may be. So that's the first thing is I think like, you know, for me, a big thing was when my mum lived in uh, southwest London, 
you know, when I quit my job back in 2005, I moved in with her, you know, and that was a way that in a very practical sense, like instead of using money to pay rent, I used a relationship to have a place to live. Um, and obviously everybody's circumstances differ and different possibilities are there for different people. But that's one thing is like, to what extent can I base, get the things that I need out of relationships rather than, rather than out of money? Um, and actually, Mark, who I mentioned, wrote a, a book called The Moneyless Manifesto, which is basically a guidebook for that. It's like how to uh, go on holiday for free, how to have somewhere to live for free, how to um, get food for free, you know, all of these things. And not necessarily to go all the way to moneylessness and probably not, but just, you know, again, the more we reduce our dependence on money, the more freedom we have. And, you know, there's this phrase, time is money, right? I think of it the other way around. Money is time. Like, you know, if I've got a thousand pounds in the bank, great. That means I don't need to work for the next however long, you know, I can give my time to whatever is important to me, to building resilience or following my passions or whatever it is. Um, there's another amazing book. What's it called? The Art of Frugal Hedonism. Um, that's an Australian book, which is very much on the same theme. And I also really recommend. Um, so that's one thing is relationships. The other thing is the natural world, the ecology. Um, like we were talking about with the happy pig, you know, you can you can uh, buy alcohol from the brewers or you can make it from plants because that's what the brewers did. <laughs> um, and, you know, ultimately it's, you know, that's the root of all wealth. Um, so the more that we can directly, you know, like the classic example, you know, grow your own food, you don't need to buy the food. Right. Um, and there are there are pros and cons to all of that. But again, the natural world much as we're doing our best collectively to decimate it is a is a much more um reliable source of security than than finance so i would say that i would say the first step is figure out how to minimize your financial outgoings um and then i think naturally any of us when we don't feel like we have to give all our time to a paycheck um well, what do you do when you don't have to do anything else? You probably follow follow your passions, you know. I mean, actually, I'd say there's a step before that. The first step is you're just completely exhausted. So if you get a bit of freedom, you probably spend it like vegging out on the sofa or, you know, just being because that's what we do when we're exhausted. But then if 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 we start, you know, building a bit more time and a bit more freedom into our lives, there comes a point where that starts to feel pretty unsatisfying. Um, and then we start usually yeah maybe looking up some old friends you know maybe going to, whatever it is you know going to uh, play football because that's always what we loved or you know going for a walk in the woods or um so yeah like re reclaim some of your lives from the financial economy that would be that would be my key advice and and it's it's yeah it's been the the absolute marker of of my path for sure if i look back at all the things that i'm really excited to have done over the last well yeah nearly 20 years now since i since i quit that job um a marker of lots of them is that they weren't paid you know lots of the things i did were, were unpaid and i could do that because i was living cheap um and uh and then you find yourself doing all sorts of interesting things <laughs> you know as i hear it I, and i love it sean it's like something about kind of freeing yourself from the traditional story, the narrative that's there, it sounds so liberating. And it it really is like, I think almost everybody is just so caught up in thinking about, I got to make more money. I got to make more money. 
so that then I can do something that makes me happy. And yet they spend all their time just getting more and more exhausted working so hard for that money. So I love hearing about all that. Um, when when I think about, you know, we talk about resilience as a relative term. It's it's very broad in scope, but from just the preparedness, like kind of traditional stance on preparedness, there are all these different things that need to be in place, right? Like you've got to make sure you've got enough food and enough water. You've got the shelter. You've got, you know, communication and sanitization and, uh, you know, medicine and all these things. As you've gone through this process, I imagine you've been able to kind of narrow it down and, and remove the fluff and focus on the things that matter most in your mind for somebody who's just starting down this path of resilience what is it uh beyond just kind of getting outside of a reliance on money and building relationships what is it that they should be focusing on if they if they want to be resilient mm. i mean firstly just because you mentioned about getting beyond the story of money i I'm sure some of your listeners have heard it already, but I have to briefly share that story of the Mexican fisherman, which you might be familiar with. Um, genius. Like, so basically there's a fisherman and he lives on the coast and he catches the fish he needs each day and feeds his family. And he's really good at fishing, so it doesn't take him long. And then they spend the rest of the day, you know, singing songs around the fire. And then one day this American businessman turns up and says, hey, man, you know, you're really good at fishing. Why don't you like stay out for six hours instead of three hours and you catch twice as many fish you could sell the surplus and he's like well sure but what would i do with that well you know then you could buy another boat and then you could catch four times as much and then over time you could build a whole fleet and then eventually you'd have a whole fishing company and he's like well sure but like what would i do then and he's like well then you could you know sell the fleet you'd have a fortune and then you could just spend your time i don't know maybe catching a few fish hanging out with your family on the beach you know singing some songs <laughs> and he's like yeah i think you can keep your mba mate um i just think that story so beautifully sums up the the madness that you were just mentioning there Kim. um but yeah i mean uh, yeah i mean the, the key thing is community i would say you know the key thing is 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 friendships and and joy shared shared enjoyments you know whatever that looks like for you um, you know, it could start with just like, I'll spend more time chatting shit with my best mate, you know, cause I never, I never find time these days, you know, we're always so busy. Um, and then, you know, you, you do a bit more of that and a, it's fun and you start to feel a bit more like a human again, but after a little time, you probably start going, you know, maybe we should, maybe we should pursue that crazy idea that we're always talking about, you know, and like maybe, and you know, it's it's those people. It's the people with whom we have deep allegiances. With like, there's there's nothing that gives more resilience than those relationships. And I think we all know that. You know, with the kind of capitalist imperative to give all our time to earning money, like we tend to neglect those relationships, and we tend to wake up twenty years later and think, God, you know, I haven't spoken to Greg in. Like, I don't even know. Is he married? I don't even know anymore. You know. Um, yeah, I, I would say that, like, you know, relationships. And I would also not not limit the term relationships to the human world. Um, you know, it could be relationships with a place. It could be relationships with a forest or with animals or, you know, whatever. Like, I think, um, yeah, I mean, if I, ex if I extend the word relationships beyond the human world, then in a sense, relationships are, are what it's all about because, you know, I was talking about, growing our own food or whatever i mean in, in a in a wider sense you could talk about that as being relational as well 
Um, and, you know, what's what's fascinating about David Fleming's work is that he makes the case that, um, <laughs> you know, we tend to think of our society today as being, you know, the most advanced civilization there's ever been. Um, but then you look at the fact that a couple of hundred years ago um, in, say, England or France, um, holidays made up, you know, a third to a half of the year. And you think, what? Like, but they didn't have all this technology, all these machines, all these factories to do all the work for them. So how come they're like slacking off and we're working so hard? Like, what's that about? And, you know, the the beauty of the way that they arranged their society um, without all the kind of advanced technologies um, was that all that time off, they didn't spend completely exhausted and and vegging out you know they they created carnival and culture and music and play and were constantly in this kind of i mean often it was tied in with religion but like constantly were in this kind of cycle of of year-round festivals and carnival and all of this and that requires a bunch of work you know you've got to build the stages and the costumes and learn the parts and all of this stuff and that was the fabric of of day-to-day life and that kind of thing knits communities together you know like you know oh my god you know steve and his family are are really struggling at the moment but like we've got to look after them because you know what would the carnival be if we didn't have steve's song at the end you know like that's the highlight um and uh and so yeah i i would really pursue those those two things relationships and and the things that really um bring joy to our existence and, and make our lives worth living you know all the things that seem frivolous like the arts and culture are in many ways kind of the point i mean you know david had this lovely phrase he talked about um the needle hiss you know like when you play a record and there's all the crackling and everything in the background um and uh and he said unfortunately our economic systems today are completely focused on the needle hiss and completely miss the actual point you know the actual things that make life worth living and stuff like making sure people have got enough to eat, you know, that should be just a given. <laughs> we should have taken care of that a long time ago. Um, but unfortunately, we're doing things so badly that we're, you know, frantically worrying about how to feed and shelter people. Um, and yeah, I, I would say it's about, um, yeah, building relationships and, and building joy. And as you do that, I think resilience kind of comes in not as a, a drudgery like oh god you know i've got to do that to secure things like i don't know paying for insurance or something but much more as um as an excitement as a as a you know of course we want to keep this going because it's wonderful hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com subtle results still you but with fewer lines Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. 
Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Which, which I think is great advice all around, right? In any context, we're talking here about resilience. And like you said, it's it's a precursor to true resilience to build those relationships. Um, but like in any context, what really should be the focus is those things that are really fulfilling, building that community. Um, one thing that I anticipate as, as people hear you talk about relying less on money, focusing more on relationships, that could lead some to think, oh, you're trying to tell me I should just uh, be more of a leech or a moocher mm-hmm. or rely more on other people. And it's a shift toward like not contributing as much and instead just taking more yeah. from the relationships around me. But I don't think that's what you mean. So I'd, I'd love to have you expand on that a little bit. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, well, maybe I'll repeat something I think I said during our last conversation, which is you know, I think one of the the dominant stories in our culture, maybe the dominant one about what we should do with our time is you must be financially independent, right? That's your first responsibility if you're going to be a respectable member of society. Like, as you say, otherwise you're a parasite, right? You're a leech. You're just, you know, relying on other people's hard work and all of that. And I would argue that that is completely mad. And I will try to convince your listeners of that right now. Um, because I don't think financial independence even exists. Um, Like everybody is dependent on someone. If you're a billionaire, someone else still built your house. You know, someone else still grew your food. Um, The only thing that money allows you to do is be dependent on people you don't know instead of being dependent on people you do know. That's literally it. And actually, that's kind of miserable. And this is part of the reason why, you know, rich people are often quite unhappy because, you know, they can consume and consume in the way that society tells us should be really satisfying. Um, But actually they kind of have the experience that they don't really need anyone. You know, that's this illusion of financial independence that, you know, if someone annoys me, well, fine, they can get lost and I'll just pay someone else for, you know, whatever it is that I want. And also they feel really suspicious of kind of everyone in their life. Well, are they just here because they want to get hold of my money or do they really like me? So, it's kind of a miserable place to be this this illusion of financial independence because actually as i say they're still dependent on people it's just the people are interchangeable um and yet (laughs) despite the fact that that illusion you know a doesn't exist a is an illusion and b isn't really very desirable because it makes people miserable i mean there's loads of research on people who win the lottery and how it actually usually makes them really unhappy because suddenly they don't have a peer group anymore you know, all their all their friends are in a completely different situation from them suddenly. You know, if they 
you know, if they go to the pub and buy everyone in the pub a round of drinks because I just won the lottery, then they're, you know, flash and showing off and, you know, who likes that? If they don't, then they're stingy and like, what the hell are they doing? They've got millions in their back pocket. You know, maybe their their friend's daughter's sick and like, do they pay for their operation for them? Well, probably, but then their whole relationship with their friend kind of shifts because suddenly they're in this kind of donor benefactor type relationship or do they not? In which case they're a scumbag. Like, you know, whatever you do, you've kind of lost your your peer group, your friends. Um, and so, quote, financial independence is is a pretty miserable place to be. And yet... <laughs> Most of the people in our society give most of the hours of most of the days of most of their life to trying to get there instead of doing whatever it is they might want to do with their lives. And, you know, like that sounds like it must be an exaggeration, but it isn't like that's how crazy the dominant stories in our culture are. Like most of the people give most of the hours, most of the days, most of their life to pursuing something that doesn't exist and that the illusion of it is actually not a very happy place to be. So I would really encourage people to examine that idea that, you know, relying on people out of love rather than out of money is being a parasite. Um, I think that's one of the most toxic ideas in our culture, but it's so deep in us. Like, you know, if you, Kellen, or, you know, whoever's listening, don't feel like you're in a place of financial independence, you probably feel guilty about it. You probably feel shame. You probably don't want to mention it to your family and you want to kind of hide it and you don't want people to know again because it's been it's it's been sort of indoctrinated into us really by our whole society um but i don't think it's true and i think the the beauty of you know talking to our friends about how it's not true if you agree with me that it's not um, is that then you can start to think, well, okay, if, if that isn't real, and if actually, you know, the flip side of it is that if you're, if you are kind of in a good place, um, financially, it can be really hard to actually support your friends, because they feel really uncomfortable with accepting any, any kind of financial help, because they feel like that's putting them in the place of being a parasite and being dependent. And, oh, it's, it's so pervasive and toxic. It's crazy. But if you can actually get to the place where you're like, you know, that's part of the joy of, of something like the happy pig is that when people come, you know, we offer them a bed for the night and that just feels nice. But if we said, let me give you 50 quid to go and pay for a night in a hotel, that would feel a lot less comfortable. That would feel like, what, do you think I'm some kind of charity case? Like, what, what the hell? I don't need your 50 quid. I can pay for my own hotel room. Thanks very much. But somehow just, yeah, you know, we've got a bed. You're welcome to sleep in it. That that feels all right. <laughs> um, feels nice. Um, and so in some ways, yeah, you could argue, I hadn't really thought of it this way before, but you could argue a lot of what we're doing is 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 finding the ways in, in our culture, you know, in an Irish context, it will look different in other places around the world, obviously, but in our culture, kind of finding a way to um, to give people experiences of, of living outside of that yeah that toxic drive to you know avoid being perceived as a parasite um because as you say it's it's deep and it's important um but once we see that it's not grounded in any real truth then i think we can start reevaluating, you know what we want to do with our days 
Sean, I appreciate that uh, that point of view. I think it's awesome, and and listening to it, like it just it rings so true to me as somebody who's spending most of my hours of most of my days of most of my life trying to gain financial independence. So uh, definitely a thinker there, and and I'm sure I'll spend the next um, several months dwelling on on that. But I do have, uh, you know, here at the end of the call of our conversation, I do want to ask about something which you have mentioned briefly here and which we talked about last year as well, which is your your deeper dive program that you do. Um, I would love to hear what is that all about? Where can people learn more about it and uh, join if they would like? Sure. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned, um, so this is a kind of partnership with um, Sterling College in Vermont. Um, I, I don't fly. I, I quit flying. um 20 years ago now um so i've never actually been to the us but um but have kind of remotely established this partnership over there and um yeah essentially you know for all the interesting <laughs> adventures i've been on over the years um you know at one point i think there was part of me that thought oh you know maybe i can save the world you know you know maybe i can head off this whole collapse thing you know if we just made some wiser decisions and we campaigned in the right directions and all of that kind of stuff and um yeah i don't believe that anymore um but i do believe that we can live good lives in this context um i do believe that we can live joyous lives and meaningful lives and good lives and i suppose because i haven't found any neat easy answers to how it makes sense to live in these times um what i'm really interested in is creating spaces where we can talk about that you know like if we're if we're in a context where yeah there are no easy answers but we still all have to decide what we're going to do with our days well then you know let's talk about it because it's it's the kind of conversation as no doubt a lot of your listeners know i mean my my work goes under this name of, of dark optimism um and that's because you know, bright, shiny optimism kind of winds me up. It's like, well, actually, everything really isn't fine. <laughs> it just ain't. Totally. Um, but at the same time, you know, if we look with open eyes at the the darkness, you know, at the challenges of our time, as I say, there's still there's still good things to do with our days. And so, I think very often the the problem that people like us who are aware of this stuff face is that we want to have conversations with people about kind of what dark optimism looks like, you know, what, what would it mean to do something good in a difficult time? But if they're not familiar with the dark, <laughs> if they're not familiar with the fact that, you know, all the things that you guys have been, have been talking about on your, on your couple of podcasts, then you kind of come in and you say, Oh, let's talk about that. They're like, what, you know, what are you on about? And then you end up just talking about the dark all the time and you never get on to talking about the dark optimism. You never get, you just become the doom guy, right? Who's always going on about all this, all this awful stuff. And so, yeah, I've, I've both in person at the pig, but also online through this program, wanted to create a space where people could like be able to talk about that, you know, be in a space where everyone else has a similar perspective on like what's unfolding on our planet and in our society and talk about yeah what what it what it means to live well in these times and i invite um a guest each week who i think really embodies one really great path um so you know some of our some of our guests for the forthcoming one off the top of my head we've got uh, nate hagans um who you know runs this amazing online channel has been a friend of mine for 
yeah, nearly 20 years now, um, and now runs this channel, The Great Simplification. So his kind of path has been kind of educating people about what's going on and kind of, you know, deepening the conversations around that. Uh, Lila June, who's um, an Indigenous American woman who uh, does amazing work on on how actually those much older cultures that have thrived for much longer than, you know, capitalist ones could even dream of thriving, you know, actually do have a lot of a lot of answers to, you know, ways that we could heal our relationship with the natural world, for example. Um, Rob Hopkins, who's, um, you know, founder of the Transition Towns movement and does a lot of work around how communities can come together and, and see resilience not as an individual thing, but as a collective thing. Um, Ian McGilchrist, who was a, a big topic of conversation in our last course, who talks about how our, how our minds work and our brains work and how that influences the stories that we give give meaning and power to. Um, and so, you know, each of these guests in a way, I mean, we've been running these courses for five years now. Um, for, yeah, this will be the fifth year. Um, each of them I, I, it becomes a kind of avatar, if you like, for 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 us. So it's, it, I, I keep this to a small group of fifty people, um, so that we can really build community within the group and and have many great friends from uh, previous cohorts. And um, and so as our guests come, they sort of yeah represent like the part of me that thinks oh I want to be an activist and try and like change some of the things that are wrong or the part of me that's like oh I just want to write books and educate people or the part of me that's like I want to just retreat and create a beautiful home and and grow amazing food and and restore a piece of land or you know whatever it may be um our guests are some of the most inspiring people I know of in terms of walking past through these times and inevitably some of our group are really drawn to what they're saying or to what they're saying or to what they're saying or actually really disagree with what they're saying and then through various formats we we talk about that so it's quite an intensive thing spread over over nine weeks um and there's different formats that suit different people so we have um ongoing kind of video calls to talk about these things we have a, a written forum where we discuss them we have um, what we call social sessions, which is where we kind of all come together and then go into breakout small groups. Um, and also I offer various kind of resources, um, videos, reading, etc., that kind of help us to deepen into, um, yeah, both what's unfolding, but also ways that we might think about responding. Um, but really the greatest value in it, I think, and certainly certainly for me and I think for the other participants is is the um the kind of fellowship again that that kind of relating um i i really hold close to my heart um a review that that one of the participants uh last year left um i think they said something like uh i was so excited about being exposed to thinkers and activists who were further along this path than me but what i've come to realize is that actually we're very much all on the same path together um and yeah i think for me certainly kind of all that time ago there was no harsher feeling than feeling alone with the apocalypse um and i think it's it's really easy to feel like that in our quite atomized societies um and so essentially yeah it's a place to come together with others who have a sense of what's going on and just really yeah reflect deeply on what we are doing and what we might want to do and what's working and what isn't working. And um, yeah, I love it. It's, it's, it feels so deeply 
part of of, of my work in the world um and uh yeah if people want to if people are interested i'd say the next uh live nine week deeper dive uh will start january 9th i think about uh about a third to a half of the places are gone so far speaking kind of end of october um you can find it if you just search online for sterling college surviving the future um you'll find it there's also a a, a self-directed version that is available all year round um which is called a path through tumultuous times um and a lot of people have you know done that and then come to do a live course when it next comes around um but yeah the deep dive we run once a year uh, i did try running it twice a year at one point but that was just too intense so um yeah each each winter and um yeah i don't know if you've got any questions about it but it really feels um feels an important thing well, I know that we uh, last time around when we spoke about this, we did have some of our listeners that joined you on the deeper dive. Mm. I believe there were several of them. Um, so I'm I'm hoping that's the same case this time that somebody who is listening out there hears this and it calls to them and they do join. So we will put a link to that in the um, in the episode description here for them to be able to find that. Um, this should be posted around the beginning of November, so hopefully there are still some spots left uh, for anyone that wants to join Sean um, on on his journey through the deeper dive. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because um, yeah, a couple of couple of people who came to it through through our last conversation have, have become good friends now and and really uh, really valued it. I think one of them actually is planning to do it again um, <laughs> this this coming January. So. Um, right. Yeah, thank you for making that connection. It's it's really enhanced my life as well. Wonderful. Well, Sean, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, this has been an awesome interview full of tons of good advice. Um, I am excited to uh, to post this for everybody to hear it. I'm going to listen to it again myself to make sure I really internalize everything that you said. Um, but I'm, I'm sure we'll be speaking to you again, hopefully inviting you back to have more and more conversations in the future. It'll be a joy, guys. And yeah, thank you for all you're doing. I think it's it's really, you know, I heard about this through a friend who was like, oh, my God, have you heard Breaking Down Collapse? So, um, yeah, you're 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 doing the good work. Thank you. Thanks, Sean. Results still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic Out of Botulinum Toxin A is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.